My one announcement would be is that we're wanting to work on something. Um, We missed the prayer ministry after Sunday morning, and so that's very difficult to do with the current restrictions. But what we'd like to do is, um, and unless there's some catastrophe starting next Sunday, is offer a opportunity to get prayed for over Zoom. So we'll have a Zoom link um, up in various places for you to connect with that. And if you would like to pray with somebody after the message, where what we're saying is probably from about 1130 till noon, if you connect in with the Zoom um, link that's offered there, we'll have a way to kind of welcome you as well as break you out with someone to pray for you. And so we miss that prayer ministry. We know many times people want to process with God in prayer after a message, and we want to make an opportunity at least through February. But if this really takes off, then we can continue to do this until, by God's grace, we're able to get back together and do it in person. So the plan is, Lord willing, as all things are underneath that biblically inspired declaration, Lord willing, After the service next Sunday, we'll have a Zoom room available for people to click on and join to and then get some prayer to process through um, either the service or maybe you just need to pray through something that's happening in your life. But we want to try to make a way for that connection to happen. And usually after church on Sunday or after the message on Sundays is a time when people are willing and able and have time for that. So stay tuned for that. We'll be sending out more information on it. But that's the intention, and by God's grace, we will get there. All right, finding freedom in February. This month of February, that's going to be starting in maybe 14 hours-ish or something like that, we want to just dedicate to seeking the Lord for freedom for our church. And one of the ways you can participate in that, besides just tuning in and connecting and staying a part of the church through hearing what people are hearing in the word is to be praying for this, that God would be liberating hearts and liberating minds from whatever is holding them down or holding them back. And we can be praying for one another in this. Part of this um, desire came out of, you know, we had a prayer time as elders and God was putting this on our heart together. Also hearing coming out of our two weeks of prayer and fasting that we had in January that many people were experiencing God kind of bringing up stuff that he wanted to work on. Maybe it was just stuff that they didn't see in their lives or something like that. But many people were just saying, God was really touching my heart about something that was keeping me bound up. And I want to continue to pursue getting free from this. And so it felt like it really dovetailed just to have a call to prayer that God would be liberating us during this February, which might seem like a weird time to do it during a lockdown. But I'm doing this, or I'm leading this in faith that this is part of God's plan to see us come out of this time freer and more powerful in the Lord, in the gospel, because of what he's done in our hearts as a church together with this time. So for me, this is really laying a foundation or groundwork for coming out of our forced exile stronger together. And so let's be praying for this. Um, One of the things, well, it's part of the message today, but... I think all of us could grow in seeing ourselves as much freer than we see ourselves in general, even in these times. And this is part of the message today and the message of this month. We are free in Christ, period, and then circumstances. Amen? So let's read together a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to just turn this thing on. And the first message, so this is leading into February 
just because of how the months worked, I decided January 31st will be an honorary day of February. You know, February's only got 28 days anyway, so it always feels a little bit left out. I don't think it's a leap year this year. So we're going to add January 31st into February in our hearts, just to be generous. So we're going to start it today. And today the title of this message is Jesus is Freedom. Jesus is Freedom. How would you define freedom? I think every Christian should respond by saying, I would define freedom as Jesus. And then fill in the details from there, because Jesus is freedom. So let's read our portion of scripture here. Hopefully you can see it. If you can't, we're in chapter um, 7, and I think it starts in verse 17 there. And I'll read it for you, and we can pray after this together. The Apostle Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, writes these very words of God. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he is when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let the Sorry, there let him remain with God. Why don't we pray? Father, we need your help. Lord, even as we begin to talk about freedom in Christ, all of us come with our own ideas about what being freed means, and we are studying your word in a culture which has its own definitions of what freedom is and its own ways of enforcing freedom and demanding freedom as well as fighting against the freedom that you offer people. And so, Lord, I know that this is like everything you talk about, ultimately a contentious subject. But Father, I pray that by the power of Jesus, you would renew our hearts and renew our minds and convince us of the unseen truths of Christ that you tell us in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would just take this humble offering of February, and Lord, you would truly work deeper and deeper freedom in the hearts of every single person who hears this message or gets prayed for during this time. Father, you are the freeing God, and I pray that you would do your liberating work in our hearts, in our minds, in our homes, in our midst, in our church, in our town, in our province, in our country, in our world, for the glory of Christ and his great praise, which is deserved and earned and ought to be in every mouth that is alive on the world. And Father, I pray that you would do this so that we would have greater joy and more powerful service to you with our lives. In Jesus' name, I ask this with great hope that you've already begun to do what I'm asking and what we're asking together. And all God's people said, amen. Well, there's only a few of you, so you've got to do it extra loud. All God's people said, good, thank you. It was a little bit lopsided on this side of the stage over here. So what I want to do today is I just want to 
say three things. I want to say freedom is being united with Jesus. Freedom is being controlled by the truth. And freedom is being able to do God's will. This is the three main points that I think ought to be a part of any Christian definition. Jesus is freedom. So being in Jesus is freedom. Being controlled by the truth of Jesus is freedom. And being able to do what Jesus wants is freedom. That's how I'm thinking through this. And so, if you're wondering, you maybe you'll disagree, but this is the case I'm making. We want a Christ-based, Christ-led, Christ-saturated, Christ-empowered freedom, and nothing less than that, or nothing else than that. And so, in order to prove my points, I want to look at our passage a little bit more clearly. So, let's back up the bus a little bit and talk about what was going on when Paul started talking about freedom. He's writing a letter to the Corinthian church, and I seem to come back to Corinth a lot in my preaching, in part because the Corinthian church is kind of a lot like a North American church. They're a rich church. They're, they've, got, they've got a celebrity culture. They, they like um, thinking people are important. They like personal freedom. They like doing what they want. They don't have tons of roots as a culture. If, if you remember, I, I've said before that the city of Corinth, you know, like a hundred or two hundred years before Paul visited there, had rebelled against Rome, and so Rome did what it usually does. It just leveled the city and exported everybody and destroyed the place. But then after a while said, Hey, why don't we rebuild Corinth? And so all the people who lived there were kind of newcomers and there was new money and new culture, and Corinth was um, kind of like a Los Angeles or a New York of their time. They were a big, rich, important city. And so when people were getting saved in Corinth, they became Christians through faith, but they didn't immediately shed their old culture of personal freedom, the love of money, the love of feeling important, wanting to compete in celebrity culture, and all that stuff. And we're kind of like them. And especially as Canadians... Because Canada has had a Christian culture, it, it's very easy for us as Christians to think most of Canadian culture is okay. Most of the way Canadians do life is the normal way of doing things. But like the Corinthians, we need to actually be deeply confronted by how the kingdom of God corrects and rebukes our culture the same way they do. If we started off with the assumption that pretty much nowadays everything that Canadians think is probably needs criticism and everything Canadians do probably needs correction by the word of God and by the gospel, we're probably off to a much better start than thinking my life as a Canadian is normal and I get to add a little bit of Jesus to it for my own personal benefit. It's probably not going to help you to think like that in the long run. And especially as our culture changes, it's changing very quickly these days. This is not the same Canada that I was born into 40 years ago. And the more it changes, the more we need to let it change without being changed by it. Just because a bus is careening down a hill with no brakes towards a big canyon doesn't mean you need to be on the bus. And as Christians, we need to be more critical, more self-examining, and more willing to not be on board with what's happening. But judging things by the word of God as we hold on to Christ. It's about Jesus. We're Christians because we want Jesus more than anything else. And so no matter what's going on around us, we start off by saying, I'm following Jesus. Amen? So what was going on in Corinth is this. This long section here has to do with Christian freedoms. Questions like, now that I'm a Christian, do I have to stay in my marriage? Now that I'm a Christian, do I have to not go to worship at the pagan temple? But now that because I'm free, maybe I can go because I'm free in Christ to go and worship with the pagans and party with them if I want to. 
And Paul is trying to renew their whole concept of freedom as being in Christ, following Christ, and pleasing Christ, instead of getting to do whatever you want to do. That is the regular definition of freedom, even for us. Freedom means I have enough money and I have so few constraints that I can do whatever I want to do. And people can't stop me and the government won't stop me. In fact, the government's job is to enable me to do whatever I want to do by changing the laws or cutting a check. That's the government's job. I want to do what I want to do. And your job is to help me do what I want to do and approve me when I want to do stuff. And the government's job is to help me do whatever I want to do. That's regular Corinth culture and that's regular Canadian culture is to define freedom as the ability to do whatever you want to do. And be supported in it. And Paul is saying, actually, freedom is Jesus. And he says something really striking, possibly offensive, and the thing that most confronts me in this passage, and the reason I chose it to be my passage to start this off, is even though he's, in in this whole chapter 7, he's mostly talking to... Christians who are married to non-Christians and Christians who are married to other Christians who are trying to figure out, well, now that I'm a Christian, can I leave my wife? Or now that I'm a Christian, can I leave my pagan spouse? Do I have to stay here? And Paul is trying to renovate their minds about marriage in Christ. He starts telling them, your new freedom in Jesus isn't about you just being able to reject your social commitments and social structures you were in when you got saved. It's not like, I'm free now, goodbye spouse, I'm free now, goodbye city, I'm free now, goodbye social moors. You know, this is the, the church that had a guy who was sleeping with his stepmom, and that was part of their freedom. Now that we're Christians, we're free to sleep with whoever we want to, even if it disgusts even the pagans. <laughs> and nowadays, you know, we would be like, is it wrong to sleep with your stepmom? And the general answer would be, well, what does she look like? Blech. And that was where they had gotten to. And so Paul says this thing, even going so far as to talk about bond service, so being the legal property of another person, he says this, for he who was called in the Lord as a bond servant is a freed man of the Lord. So if Jesus calls you, even if you were a bondservant and the legal property of another person, now you're free. Period. He says this. Paul just says this. And if you were kind of like a cynical person and a bondservant, you might say, don't feel free. But that would just be this profound lack of faith in what God has done and who you are now in Jesus. That would be the issue. Because, and part of it is, let's just look at that word called there. In the Bible, especially for Paul, this kind of call doesn't just mean saying someone's name out loud. There are all kinds of calling. And there's, there's lots of bad calling. Does anybody ever get that call where it's like, you get a call on your phone and it looks like a local number, but it's not someone you, you know, you don't have them in your address book, and you press... And you're kind of like suspicious right off the bat. And you press the 
green button on your phone there, the green lights underneath the glass, whatever, however it works now, I don't even understand. You press the thing that picks up, and then there's that dreaded two seconds of silence. And you just, you just know right now, oh, it's a scam artist or a telemarketer. And then right as you're about to press the red button, this is what I always do. You've got two seconds to say something when I pick up the phone. So if you're phoning me, and you, I don't know your number, and you want to... You don't want me to hang up on you immediately. <laughs> You've got to be talking. As soon as I press go, just be talking so I know it's a real person there. Because as soon as I hear that two seconds of silence, click off, and there's always like the, hello. And it's going to be like, hello, this is the RCMP, and you haven't paid your taxes, and we're going to find you. And it's just always a scam. And most phone calls nowadays, it's so sad. Unless the person is in your phone, phone book, it's almost always a crook. Isn't that sad? Most of your calls you're going to get that aren't, Someone you know, it's a crook. These aren't good calls. But that is not what's talking about. It's not just calling out a name. When the scripture's talking about being called by the Lord, it's talking about that supernatural event where God in time comes to someone and calls your name in such a way that it radically transforms who you are. And it's not so much just Rob saying, Hey, Frank. And wondering if you'll respond. It's more like when Jesus was standing outside of the tomb of Lazarus. Outside of the tomb of a dead man. Outside of a man who was being mourned. And he says to him, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead guy walks out of the tomb. That guy is not a normal guy anymore. Which is why everybody freaks out and everybody spazzes. And people actually wanted to start killing Lazarus and Jesus. Because everybody knew he was dead and now he's not. And something has changed. And that is the kind of call that it's talking about. It's the call of the God of power who calls into existence things that do not therefore exist. And whose word cannot be stopped. And he calls you and says, Aaron, serve me. And you can't not do it because the calling itself changes who you are. You're born again and you're brought to life and you're moved from darkness into the kingdom of light and you used to be in bondage to Satan but now you're a child of God and this call has changed everything so much so that even if you're legally still a bondservant you are now God's freed person. Somebody say something. Thank you. That's what the Bible's talking about. And Paul says it so flippantly. It's so obvious to him. It's so true to him. It's so just like normal to him that he almost can't understand why these Christians don't get it already. You have been called by Jesus. Why would you worry about your socioeconomic status? In the kingdom of heaven, you're free. Everything else is second to that. And he doesn't leave it alone. He says, yeah, but if you can get your freedom, go ahead and do it. And if you are free, don't live your life in such a way that you end up a slave. Like, don't blow it in the name of Jesus. Don't get so indebted that you get arrested in the name of Jesus. Don't become a drug addict in the name of Jesus. Don't become a drunk in the name of Jesus. Don't become a pothead in the name of Jesus to prove your freedom. But it all starts off with you, Christian, have a freedom that the world cannot give you and cannot take away. The resurrected God of glory has called you by name and changed who you are and you're free. So every day in February, you should be telling yourself all the time, 
If you're a Christian, I am free. I am free. In Jesus, I am free. I am free before breakfast, and I'm free before lunch, and I'm free before dinner. I'm free on my way to work, and I'm free on my way home, and I'm free when I wake up, and I'm free when I go to bed, and I'm free when I talk to my family, and I'm free when I talk to my friends, and I'm free when I can't do what I want, and I'm free when I can't go where I want, and I'm free when I'm under lockdown, and I'm free underneath the mask, and I'm free when I'm not wearing the mask. I'm free, and no one can give this freedom to me but Jesus, and nobody can take it away but Jesus. Free, free, free. And Christian, if you can get satisfied by a freedom that isn't in Jesus, you're not saved yet. Or you're tragically blind. But I tell you the truth, the days are coming and now are here when the real Christians are going to believe that the government does not grant them any freedom. That they just serve Jesus, period. And they can serve him just as well with all of their rights in any bill. And they can serve him just as well without any of them honored by anybody. Because they're already most of the way to heaven. We're already most of the way into the kingdom of God. We just have our falling apart bodies to catch up with us. And that's how Paul lived, and that's how he could say this stuff that's kind of offensive and nobody really believes. But he was crazy free, even though he spent more time in shackles and in prison than any of us ever have. And one of my favorite stories about all this stuff, I'm just going to put this down. I think it's one of Greg's favorite stories. Do you remember, Greg, when, when Paul gets arrested in Philippi? Who's he in prison with? He's in prison with Silas. <clears throat> And he's already been wrong because he's a Roman citizen and he's in prison without a trial. But he hasn't said anything yet. Even though he totally legally had the right to say, Roman over here, get me out of here. And he pulls that thing after, after the story's over, when they want to get rid of him quietly, he says, you're going to get rid of me quietly even though I'm a Roman citizen? And then they start brown trousering themselves and start leaving puddles wherever they were sitting and start panicking because they've totally broken the law. But he doesn't say anything about the law because he's on mission. So he's in the prison, shackled, as unfree as you can get. But is his heart unfree? No, his heart is free. He's singing. He's leading worship. Him and Silas. They got no soundboard. They got no bass backup. The drums are... There's no drums. And maybe just... Boom, boom, key. Boom, boom, key. Our God is an awesome God. No, Silas, you're singing accompaniment. Don't sing the same volume. You just got to go up. Our God. And they're, so they're singing in the prison. And this is the thing that is just such an insight into Paul's I carry my freedom wherever I go with Jesus mindset is that after God breaks the prison and sends the earthquake and brings down the walls and opens the doors and breaks all the shackles, they don't leave. Because when the prison guard wakes up, they're still there so that they can preach the gospel to him and get him free. Because even though he was the prison guard holding other people in bondage, he was the most in bondage person there because he did not know Jesus. And so even though Paul is physically freed by the miracle power of God, he doesn't leave until he's done the mission of God. Because in his head... He carries around his freedom wherever he goes. Amen? And then it's only after he's started this church in the prison that he's like, oh yeah, and by the way, I'm a Roman and you guys mistreated me and 
and you, yeah, you can, you can come and walk me out of town. You know what I'm saying? This is a mindset that is so foreign to us who are so steeped in North American definitions of freedom. Legally supported to be able to fulfill every lust I have. That's freedom. That's, and I think that's my next point. Freedom for Christians is the ability to be controlled by the truth. Because Paul says this weird thing in the next line. After he's already, he told everybody who could ever think of themselves in a position of being not free. He says, actually, if you're in Jesus, your freedom is, your, is the first thing about you. Because now you're forgiven, and now you're one with God, and now almighty power is in your life, and now you are a freed person, and the details of your life come second, but you're united with the God who went through death and broke through the grave, and is now in heaven, seated on the throne, and you're seated with him, according to Ephesians, you're already halfway to heaven. He says this next thing. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant to Jesus, to Christ. So he says, all you people who in the eyes of the world have all the freedom, you're legally free and you're financially free and you're socially free. You guys who feel so free and you kind of feel sorry for the people who aren't free and you look down on the people who aren't free. And maybe you think, maybe sometimes I'll cut a check to help those people get a little bit freer. All you guys, I want you to know you're slaves. You guys, the free ones, you're slaves now of Jesus. You are not free to do whatever you want. You're not free to think whatever you want. You're not free to feel however you want. You're now free to be controlled by the word of Christ. That's you. You free people. You aren't free. Because freedom is being able, finally, to be controlled by the truth. You might remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. You might remember the freest people who ever lived. So free they didn't even need clothes. The whole universe was a nudist colony back then in the Garden of Eden day. And the food was there. Guess how much the apples cost? Free. Guess how much the oranges cost? Free. Guess how much the bananas cost? Free. Everything's free. There's gold in the ground and it's free. And all the sex is free and everything is free and marriage is free. It's all for free. Because God loves freedom and he created them free. And the universe was a gift. And then Satan comes along and says, you're not free enough yet. There was one command, one tree to not eat, one thing to not do, and one person you could not be. You're not allowed to be God. There was one constraint. Don't eat this fruit and prove that you're not trying to be God. That's all there was. And Satan's like, you're not really free until you do that. And they did it. And we got the curse 
of death and the curse of sickness and the curse of strife and the curse of conflict and the curse of murder and the curse of death. And we got the curse of COVID and we got the curse of slavery and we got every wicked and evil thing that all of us mourn because two people were not willing to be as free as God made them. But had to be as free as Satan tempted them. Most of the freedoms that our culture says is freedoms are actually headlong plummets into sin. It wasn't always like this, but nowadays it surely is. Freedom to commit violence without impunity. Freedom to kill your own children. Freedom to indulge every kind of love. Freedom to be unfaithful to your commitments. Freedom to be unfaithful to your children. Freedom to do whatever evil thing you want. Freedom to, you can't go to church, but you can get wasted on booze every day you want. Freedom to be addicted. Freedom to waste your life. Most of it, most of our human freedoms nowadays in the West totally please Satan. And so to actually have true Christian freedom, you need to be able to define your freedom as being controlled by the truth. Because nowadays being out of control is death. I could probably say a lot more about that. But maybe it'll help to go to the third point. Freedom is being able to do God's will. If someone is preaching to you complete freedom in Jesus, it can be a bit jarring in our culture to also know that a few sentences earlier they said nothing matters, your circumcision or your uncircumcision, but only keeping the commandments of God. Because for most of us, keeping God's commandments would get filed under the, under the not free category. Amen? I'm free, but I also have to do whatever God says. Uh, doesn't make any sense. Am I right or am I wrong? I don't know. If you live defining freedom as the ability to do whatever I want, then keeping God's commandment usually gets filed under unfreedom and constraint and sometimes a drag and a bore. But this is one of the things I've been most trying to renovate and brainwash myself about this week. God really does love human freedom. When God showed up to the Israelites in Egypt to deliver them from the slavery of their bondage, he didn't do it because he didn't think they had enough slavery in their life. He wanted them to be free. He promised them a land flowing with milk and honey where they would not be slaves any longer. And he even gave them a law to say, hey, if for some weird reason some of you become servants to each other, there will be a time where every seven years you get re-liberated. You'll never be a slave for more than six years. And then every 49 years or whatever it is, there's going to be this year of jubilee where everybody goes back to their homelands and everybody gets their property back. And just because this world has fallen, there's going to be terrible things happening. But Israel is going to be built on a system of freedom that resets debts systematically over and over and over again, because God really does love freedom. The problem is, is that he can't trust us with it. 
And so you end up with these commands where God literally will come and tell you, you have to be free. But we hear them as constraints. Because the God of goodness and the God of love and the God of glory and the God of kindness does not give commands that are evil or mean. He gives commands that when obeyed produces free people. Do you ever think about that? I rarely think about that. And I'm like a Bible guy. But I'm so enculturated that I still need my mind renovated. I don't hear when, when Paul says, what, it doesn't matter if you've, what, 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 what little surgeries you've had done in your body, in your underpants. It doesn't matter. What happens is your freedom depends on being able to do the commandments of God. Because God's commands are, be free. Be free of sin. Be free of wickedness. Be free of being evil. Be free of defacing the image of God. Be free. Be free to be just like Jesus. And my commands especially those in the New Testament, will release you into freedom when you do them by faith and joy. But if we don't have faith in Jesus and we don't have the start of being free in Jesus, even the command to live sounds like death to us. The freest man who ever lived came to Israel 2,000 years ago and went about, Scripture says, doing good and delivering people who were oppressed by the devil. And I think it's in Luke where, where that's just the description of Jesus. All he did with his ministry was go around feeding people for free and setting people free of their sicknesses for free. And even the apostles in the early church, when somebody offered to buy the Holy Spirit for money, they cursed him to his face and said, go to hell with your money because we're doing this for free. It was all about being free and getting free. And most people hated it. We want our idolatries. We want our in-control bondages. We would rather be slaves to cheap pleasure than the hardships of true Christian freedom. Amazing! Amazing! But I'm not here today to make anybody feel bad. I'm here today to start by trying to drive with a red hot hammer through a white hot nail into your minds and souls that when you long for real freedom, you are longing for the man Christ Jesus and what he wants to do in your life. And when we pray for Jesus to really set us free, we need to be willing to let him do the freedoms he wants to do first. I remember we were reading Mark 2 as a community group this week, and we were reading about that story of the paralytic on the mat through the roof. Anybody remember that story? Jesus is teaching. He's starting to become famous. He's getting a name for himself. He's amassed a crowd. And these people have a man who cannot walk. He is so unfree. He can't walk in a culture that doesn't have wheelchairs. He can't get anywhere unless somebody drags him there. He does not feel free, does he? But they've got faith, and he's got faith, so they're trying to bring him to Jesus. So they go on the roof, and it's a flat roof. It's not like a peaked roof like ours that has 
shingles. You're like, how long would it take to get through a roof to go to somebody's party in one of our houses? It would take a while. But they would have just had like clay over wood or something like that. So they bust through it a little bit and they lower him down. And the king of freedom, speaking to a man who just wants to be free to walk, he looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Not first you can walk. Because the king of freedom knows the freedoms we need first. And if you're not forgiven, you'll never be free. Because you'll always be underneath the guilt and condemnation of our sin before a holy and righteous God. So the Christ of freedom says to him, the first freedom he needs is to be free before God. Free to be loved by God and free to be accepted by God. And free to have a pure heart and a calm conscience in the presence of God. And so he says to him, your faith has saved you. You are forgiven. And in that moment, of be, that's the call. That's the moment he was called. That's when Christ told him, you are never going to be the same again. You're called of Christ and you're the freedman of the Lord. Even though you can't wiggle your toes still. Amen? And then somebody says to Jesus, you're not free to forgive people's sins. Only God can do that. And Jesus says to him, are you sure? Are you sure? Let's make a bet. What's harder? To say the words, your sins are forgiven you, or to make with words somebody walk who can't? What's harder? Because any goofball is free to say your sins are forgiven because even if they're not, nothing's going to happen. That you notice, right? Your sins are forgiven. Even if they're not, who's going to know besides God himself? And so Jesus says, just so you know that I am in such the liberating business that I can liberate people from the guilt of sin and the consequences of sin. I am going to liberate this guy from the consequences of paralyticism. Paralytics? Para... I've lost... I don't know. I'm going to liberate him as an object lesson so that you know that I actually do the freedom actual people actually really need. Which is to be free to know and be loved by God. Because if you're not free to know God and love Him and be known by Him and be loved by Him, none of your freedom is worth a pile of dog poop flaming on a doorstep. And so the Father God says, I want people to know that Jesus gives true freedom. Those legs which I have allowed to never work, now they work. And the first thing Jesus said to him was he gave him a job. A command of the Lord. Pick this thing up. Go home. But aren't I free now? Yeah, you're free to do exactly what I say. Be forgiven. Boom, done. Be healed. Boom, done. Carry this thing home. Boom, done. And I'm just saying Christians should love all those things. Spiritual liberty more than anything else. Emotional, mental liberty. Yes, Service, liberty, of course. Boom. Okay, I'm out of here. Let's pray. Band, you guys can come up. But this is this, is this month. Church, us as an eldership team, me as, as your pastor, 
I'm calling you to be praying for true Christian freedom to sweep into this church. Minds and hearts and all of it, all of it being refined as truly defining freedom as Jesus, as our Lord, as the one we have who loves us and has forgiven us. He's freedom. Nothing can stop him. No one can stop him. And no will of his in us can be stopped as we keep our eyes of faith on him. Amen? And, and... He's going to do it. And don't you want to be a part of it? So, Father, would you please just pour out your spirit on every heart that is looking afresh to Jesus to be true freedom. Father, would you save us from the pitfalls that the Corinth church fell into where they wanted to make the freedom you give into a license for sin. God, would you save us from that every single place. And Father, where people are even now under the burden of guilt and under the burden of shame, would that that faith that Jesus is forgiveness and Jesus is freedom come to them afresh and that you'd set their broken legs to walking, God. And their hearts would... Begin to say, maybe this counts for me too. And you would yell at them in their spirit, yes, it does count for you too. And they would receive by faith what Jesus earned on the cross. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, would you help us be so humble in this. And not sabotage our freedom by being led away into any kind of temptation. So that you would be so glorified in these days. In Jesus' mighty name, because, Father, you love your children so dearly, and you sent Jesus to buy us with his blood, would you perform all these prayers? Amen.